All right, welcome back to EM Stud. On this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about just the process for applying to away rotations. In emergency medicine, it's been kind of standard that students will do at least one away rotation. It really helps your application out, helps you get that second letter of recommendation, also called a slow. Uh, and technicalities have been confusing for students in the past. So uh, Scott and I are going to talk a little bit about just how you go about doing that and just some general principles of getting an away rotation. So Scott, how you doing? Man, I'm doing so wonderful. It's a beautiful day here in Texas. Well, good. Beautiful day here in Virginia, too. So, um, man, you talked about this VSAS a little bit. What, what does VSAS stand for? Set me straight. Well, VSAS is another one of those, like you mentioned on our last episode, one of those four-letter words that medical students have to learn about uh, in their fourth year of medical school. So VSAS is the Visiting Student Application Service, a formalized process to apply for an away rotation in your fourth year. Gotcha. So yeah, VSAS is a way that we can standardize someone's application so that you don't have to send off applications to every single university with their own specific set of requirements. So it, when used properly, can be a good tool to use. So you can apply to a lot of different programs using one application service. Now the problem is, as Nate and I were talking about, not every institution uses VSAS. So if you have a couple of programs that you want to pick to apply to, and we'll talk about how to choose that in a second, you probably need to find out if they use VSAS or not. I'm willing to bet probably, I'm guessing 80% of the emergency medicine clerkships use VSAS. Would that be fair, Nate? What do you think? I think so. And and like you mentioned, it definitely has made things a lot easier to make sure everyone's ducks are in a row. Yeah, and I would advise students right now that while you're preparing for your fourth year, one of the things you need to do is start learning what is required of VSAS. You will be surprised. Sometimes the insurance for liability insurance that your school has might not match up with where you want to go as a away rotation. They may be different. So you've got to get that rectified. The other thing is immunizations. They would like for you to have PPDs and titers of all different sorts of strange diseases and prove that you've not been exposed to Ebola or any of these other new viruses that are out there. So you've really got to go back and find your doctor and they they want notarized copies. They want official records. So right now, if you're thinking to yourself, what can I do to prepare That might be something to consider. Go find out what's necessary. Start organizing your portfolio and getting those documents notarized and in your hands. Absolutely. This is definitely not just fill out a single sheet of paper type of an application. Proof of your step one scores and a photo and maybe even a letter of recommendation from somebody. It kind of varies from school to school. You know, another way that you can approach this is to go to your own school and say, hey, you know, I I know a lot of other students have had to apply for away rotations. Is there some help or some resources you can offer me to just help get all this stuff together? Yeah, I know we've got a contact person at our school in the student affairs office that can be invaluable for these kind of things. And it's important to identify them. When you have some specific questions, go to them, find a mentor on your campus and find them, help them assist you in getting this all together. So Nate, what's the timing involved in all this? When are we going to expect for VSAS to open up? When do we need to kind of have our ducks in a row so we can be uh, on the ball? So VSAS really won't open for another couple months. And I know some schools won't even actually list some of their elective offerings until, say, uh, March or April. Yeah, I think April's the big month for me. So definitely April's when you want to have stuff ready to go. You don't want to be that one student where someone's offered you something, but it's held up because of an immunization. 
or some other sort of uh, piece of paper that you need to collect. So you want to have your stuff ready to go so that you're not allowing any barriers to inhibit you from being accepted for an away rotation. Surprisingly, sometimes I won't even get to see their application. It won't even be complete, and the dean's office won't even release it to me until everything's done. There's this one poor gal in our student affairs office who's responsible for assessing our whole College of Medicine's away rotations. And so sometimes things don't happen quickly. And I think you'll find that there's going to be a lag in the timing when you apply and before you hear back from someone. I kind of go around things, and as soon as I see someone that's applied, I'll call you. I'll send you an email and kind of do a little bit of a quick little biopsy interview. And if you don't have any kind of bad police records and you haven't had bodies stacking up in your closet and you're nice and respectful, I'm probably going to help you out and try to get you a spot if you're on the ball. So that's kind of the way that I roll, and I know that everybody else has a different style, but that's kind of an overview of the timing. So Scott, what do you think about a student who's applied and they've been waiting and waiting and waiting and just haven't heard back? What's kind of the general etiquette for reaching out and saying, hey, did you guys get my application? Man, that's a great question. You know, I think one of the things that really kills a great student and prohibits them from matching at the place they want or rotating at the spot they want is just common courtesy. So if you're emailing the coordinator or the representative in student affairs every day, if you're calling them and leaving voicemail after voicemail and, and frankly, just nagging or being rude on the phone and demanding, that's not going to go well. That kind of stuff gets back really quickly. So remember, in the application process in fourth year, play nice in the sandbox. That's going to be an overwhelming theme that you're going to hear on this podcast from your mentors and anyone that's been doing this for a while. You've got to play nice in the sandbox with everybody. So I would maybe check with your student affairs representative. I would use the online resources to make sure that everything is checked off. And I would send a kind, short email or a kind, short phone call and <laughs> inquire about things. But I would resist the temptation because it's tempting. Is my app finished yet? Is my app finished yet? Is my app finished yet? It gets old. So don't nag. Be careful. Play nice in the sandbox. So, so you're saying a 20-minute phone call every day at exactly 2 o'clock for at least a month straight. That might be pushing a little bit, Nate. <laughs> yeah, I think you're, uh, you're going to be overstaying your welcome if you do that kind of thing. <laughs> so how many applications should you send off, Nate? What do you tell your students that are, let's say I'm a, I'm a fairly competitive student. I've got you know, no red flags in my past history. I've passed everything. Uh, I've got you know, a, a solid step score, maybe in the 230s for step one, and I'm, I'm ready to go for third year. I'm, I'm sorry, fourth year. What do you think is a reasonable amount of applications in VSAS to apply for? Well, you know, this is, um, I, you know, I'm going to have to answer this question in very broad terms because I think it depends on the student and I think it depends on where they want to go um, with the understanding that some medical schools have very popular rotations, some may not. Um, some students are more competitive than others. Um, generally, you know, I think if you're applying to, to maybe five or six uh, away rotations in hopes of gaining one, I think that's a reasonable strategy for most students. Is that what you're telling folks to? Man, I think that's right on the money. And I think you covered the high points there. If, if you're wanting to apply to every place that wins the award for the most amazing city in the United States, then you might need more applications because chances are everybody wants to go there. Uh, if you're applying to maybe some of the most historic and respected academic programs, 
then you might need a few more applications. Uh, I think it's always important to talk with your mentor to find out your competitiveness and basically where the programs are. Because surprisingly, some of the most sexy cities may not have the best programs. And some of the most least sexy cities may have some of the best programs. So it's really going to be unique for our specialty. And I think that's really the power of a mentor in this application process. Absolutely. Absolutely. You definitely want to talk to your, your mentor for sure. And, you know, also just added to that, there are certain parts of the country where there just maybe aren't a whole lot of offerings. Whereas in other parts, say like on the East Coast, I mean, we have tons of programs, tons of rotations. Uh, so if you're interested in a particular region and not necessarily just a specific city or program, that's something to consider as well. Yeah, I think that's the thing as well, especially for my students in Texas. So Texas is a proud state. Uh, we are republic. Sometimes we have a very self view that's that's probably inflated. <laughs> and so a lot of people will stay in Texas. So if, if you're a, a student that comes from a region like that, like let's say you're from New York City or Chicago or, or maybe California or Texas, and it, it looks like this. I grew up in Texas. I went to undergraduate in Texas. I went to medical school in Texas. I went to, you know, everything I did was Texas. If that's the way your application looks, sometimes we find that Maybe other programs like in, in larger cities or maybe far away on the east or west coast may not even be interested in you. They're going to look at this application and say, well, why would this person ever leave Texas? They've not done that so far. So they may not give you that chance, um, especially if you're on the fence. Now, one way to address that that I've found is I've recommended to our students to find a region of the country that they would like to live in. Maybe it's the southeast. Maybe it's the east coast. Maybe it's, you know, around Chicago or maybe the west coast. And find an area where you say, you know what, I really want to go train in these areas. This is a spot where I might consider doing my residency and maybe living for a while. Find a place like that, talk to your mentor, and apply to a program there. What I've found is that when you rotate at these places and you get a letter of evaluation, again, the emergency medicine family is quite small. We know each other, we go to conferences together, we communicate frequently, we're friends, we're colleagues, we talk, and we know. So if someone did well at a spot near me, I'm going to see that letter of recommendation, and they'll say something like, wow, well, if, you know, if Nate liked this guy, well, I think we would too, because you know, he's liked other people that we like, and we talk a lot, and I get along with this guy. So that might open up pockets of interviews in a certain geographical area that might not have otherwise been open to you. So that might be a tactic to consider. Oh, absolutely. I agree 100%. And, you know, keep in mind that when you're applying for an away rotation and you're, and you're going out there and, and you're visiting these other places, it's really only a four-week rotation. So if you absolutely hate where you're going, you, you hate the, you know, the hospital that you're working at, I mean, don't tell anybody that, but, you know, it's only four weeks. This is really your chance to kind of put yourself out there and see if, if hey, you know, if you've never been on the East Coast or you've never been on the West Coast, maybe you'd really like it. Yeah, that's a great point, Nate. And, and I would even think of maybe considering a different program that you came from. Let's say you go to a medical school that's like deep inner city, county hospital, you know, gunshots, knives, stabbings, homeless people laying around in like stacks. So that's one kind of emergency medicine. And if you come from that background, I would suggest that you consider going to rotate at a place that might have a little bit more of a community feel and really experience that because I think that there's a lot of difference in those programs, but then again, there's also a lot that's the same. So I'd encourage students to maybe consider doing a rotation at a program which might be contrasted against their experience from their home institution. Absolutely, absolutely. 
And, you know, also emergency medicine is becoming more and more competitive. And, Scott, I'd love to get your thoughts on whether you think students need to do more than one away rotation. Man, that is a great question. I think there's a lot of misinformation, maybe misunderstandings, miscommunications about what's necessary. So if you look at the the CORD listserv, which Nate and I both uh, are members of, we're finding some conversations that happen. And, and somehow the, the word has gotten out that as a medical student, that you won't even get an interview unless you do three or four away rotations and your slow is uploaded by that time and your step two scores and nobody's even going to look at you or give you the time of day unless all that's complete. And I don't think that's the case. First things first, you've got to do a rotation at your home institution early. So if you are at an institution that has an emergency medicine residency program and you don't rotate at it and don't get a letter from them, I think that's a red flag. So you need to rotate with your home institution, let them polish you up, let them give you the fundamentals of emergency medicine, and then I think you should have a second emergency medicine away rotation. And again, we talked about the location of that, we talked about the type of program, but I think there probably needs to be two core emergency medicine rotations that you can get a standardized letter of evaluation or a slow, which probably is a topic for another podcast, and making sure that that's in your application kind of around the time when the dean's letters open up. I think after that, you're really not going to be adding a big bang for the buck. I had a student this year that did five emergency rotations, and, and she was just exhausted. So you don't have to do that many. I think two is a perfect number. Nate, what do you think? Oh, I, I think two is perfect. That's what I'm telling my students, too. And, you know, in addition to that, just think of all of the other things you can use your fourth year for. You know, if you're doing emergency medicine six months out of the year, I mean, you are going to be doing residency for three to four years of emergency medicine. So you will learn emergency medicine. There's no question about that. But if you actually take advantage of the time in fourth year to, say, do a rotation in ENT or ophthalmology or orthopedics, that can actually go a long way for your education. Nate, I've got a, a side question that just popped into my mind when you said that, because I think you're bringing up some great points here. What do you tell a student to do if, you, let's say you've applied to VSASH, you've done everything right, but maybe your scores weren't great or you had some red flags and you're, you're, you know, this kind of thing, but your advisors say, look, you can still do emergency medicine and you need to get a second letter of evaluation. Uh, do you have any tricks or pearls for advising students on techniques of getting a second slow if they've only got one from their home institution? Or maybe they made a late decision to emergency medicine? What do you tell those students? Well, you know, I, I think you have to think outside of the box for those students because, you know, generally when you get a slow from your home institution, hopefully what you're getting is called a departmental slow. And what that is, you know, without going into a whole lot of details, I think we can talk about slows in another episode. But essentially that is a summation of your performance on that rotation, typically written by a group of authors, say the clerkship director and the program director. And when you have that, I don't know that there's a huge benefit to having an individual slow written by another faculty member in the same department. So what I recommend to these students is if they can get in touch with their clerkship director at home to see if perhaps they can pull some strings to get them a rotation somewhere else. But getting a slow, I think, from an objective third party is really very important to solidifying your application. Yeah, that's a good point. I've had some students be really creative and reach out and do maybe an EMS rotation or a tox rotation 
or, or some other kind of emergency medicine subspecialty rotation with a leader within their institution. And so I know that, that this may differ between a couple of different uh, sites, but if you've got someone that's a big name in wilderness medicine or toxicology or EMS, and you rotate with them, and they feel comfortable giving you a slow, that could work out as a different way to obtain a slow. I agree, the departmental slow is gonna be king, but sometimes there's just not enough space for everybody in this competitive specialty. And so you have to think of some creative ways to work those out. So if you're gonna do an away rotation in an emergency medicine elective for the purpose of a slow, I think it's important to make sure upfront that that's your goal. I want to get a standardized letter of evaluation from you. Will you do that for me? And if they are, hey, great. That's a great way to get that extra letter of evaluation in a way that you might not have been able to get it before. At the very least, what you've done there is you've gone to their institution, you've met their leadership. Hopefully you're going to work not just on the ambulance doing EMS, but maybe you're going to go and shadow a few shifts or work there a little bit and you get to know them. So you kind of might get your foot in the door. And if you do well, that might get you an interview that you might not have gotten otherwise. Oh, yeah, we've certainly had students come uh, who were unable to get into our uh, fourth year elective rotation and say do a month of EMS with us, and we've worked out a way for them to work a few shifts and get us slow. That's, that's certainly a great way to, to go about it. One word of caution I would have is just when you're trying to do this, though, you do want that core um, acting internship or that core fourth year rotation. Don't uh, think that if you simply do an EMS rotation that that will automatically translate into us really being able to uh, judge how well you're doing in the emergency department. And in fact, on EMS, for example, you may not even work with physicians most of the rotation. Great points, Nate. Great points. Uh, Nate, what's the professionalism? Let's say that you're an amazing medical student and you have no problems. You've got the most beautiful straight teeth and you've got a step score of like 358 and, and you get like seven applications out there and all seven programs want you. How do you gracefully decline these kind of things? What's the, what's the professionalism and the expected culture of declining and accepting spots? Can you speak to that? Oh, sure. And that's a, that's a great question. When you're in your fourth year of medical school, professionalism means something different entirely. It's not simply just showing up on time to work, doing what's asked of you, making sure that you're holding yourself to the highest ethical standards, but also it comes down to practical points as well. Before I even get to, I think, what you were asking me about how to decline interviews, the first thing I'd say is that you got to make sure that you're professional in terms of just keeping on top of things. If somebody sends you an email, you want to respond to it immediately. If somebody calls you, you don't want to wait six days before returning their call. This is all part of just kind of being professional in your communications with folks, but it'll also help you stay on top of things so that if uh, an away rotation opens up, they have a spot, you hear about it, that way you can land it without uh, any delay. Yeah, I think that's a great word of wisdom right there. So uh, anything else, Nate, on VSAS, this four-letter word? Just think of it as a, sort of um, a trial run for ARIS, I think. It's, um, it's a process that uh, certainly takes some time investment and a lot of work to you know, get, uh, get something out of, but I, I think it's worth it. And I think students who go through VSAS then feel more comfortable going through ERAS because they've kind of been through a similar process before. Couldn't have said it better myself. Well, thanks so much, Nate. This has been a great episode. I enjoyed collaborating with you. And uh, rotate well, my friends.